May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Today on the podcast, we are going to start a series on ADHD and fibromyalgia. We're going to learn about what is ADHD, the connection between ADHD and fibromyalgia, the impact of ADHD on fibromyalgia, treatment of ADHD and fibromyalgia symptoms. This is going to be with an interview with Dr. Bill Dodson, which I'll share more information about later, but he's one of the nation's experts on ADHD in children and adults. But first, I am going to share some listener feedback that I have. This is from Lisa. Lisa says, Hello, Dr. Lenz. I am new to your podcast. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in 2012. I had an excellent doctor who unfortunately retired in 2014. I now have an excellent doctor who is learning with me. Unfortunately, I found that my symptoms are getting worse. Listening to Teresa's story has made me begin to look at a lot of factors. I also am in the beginning of stages of kidney failure, which is hereditary. My doctor is insisting on losing the weight to get off my blood pressure medication and getting my uric acid levels in control to reverse the kidney function and have less stress on my muscles. I used to be very active when I was young, but decreased in my mid-30s. I will be ordering your book so that I can learn more. Thank you for your podcast. I am learning it a lot and will suggest your podcast to my primary care physician also. Well, just thank you so much, uh, Lisa, for your kind words, and I hope that this podcast and the book will be helpful for you. I hope this will be eye-opening. I think that there's a lot of information that I wish I would have known in 2012 when I was just learning about fibromyalgia. A lot has been learned and trying to be able to connect the factors. And also, there is a lot of information that I can share with helping your kidneys. Now, there's different types of kidney issues. and The most common are related to essential hypertension or high blood pressure, but there also can be a cystic kidney disease, which you may have. But there are things that you can do to help protect your kidneys. And one of the things that I talked about in earlier podcasts, looking at the role of diet The diet showed to be helpful for fibromyalgia was a whole food plant-based diet. Turns out that's the same diet that's very effective with weight loss, which also is very effective for helping your kidneys, reversing heart disease as well. So implementing a healthy whole food plant-based diet would be very helpful for you as well. If you haven't gotten a chance to go through that podcast, please check that out. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have if you 
don't feel like it was answered in that podcast. I want you to be in the best position to be healthy in so many different aspects of your life. So if you have any questions that you'd like to ask me, please email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. And now the introduction. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz, and author and narrator of Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. I am a pediatrician, an internist, a lifestyle medicine physician, and a clinical lipidologist with over 25 years of experience as a medical doctor. My goal is to weave the best of both medical management and lifestyle medicine to helping those who have fibromyalgia. I want them to go beyond just surviving to living well and even reversing fibromyalgia. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is looked at as a supplement or starting point to help build a deeper understanding of the pathophysiology and treatments for fibromyalgia. This does not replace an office visit with your medical doctor or provider. And enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Bill Dodson. He's a board-certified adult psychiatrist who was one of the first clinicians who specialized in adults with ADHD over 25 years ago. He has been on the faculties of Georgetown University and the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center. He was named a Life Fellow of the American Psychiatric Association in recognition in his clinical contributions to the field of ADHD. He was a recipient of the National Maxwell Schleifer Award for his distinguished service to the persons with disability. He has written more than 120 articles and book chapters designed to help a lay audience better understand ADHD and its treatment. Dr. Dotson is now semi-retired and devotes most of his professional time to working with homeless adolescents on the streets of Denver and writing a book about the optimal treatment of ADHD in both children and adults. So, without any further ado, welcome right. to the show, <laughs> Dr. Bill. I keep busy. I'm working harder in retirement than I did when I was still seeing patients. Yeah, you know, that's that's so awesome. And, and I know that it's one of those things that you mentioned with working with homeless adolescents on the street and I like metaphors and analogy, and sometimes people who have fibromyalgia sometimes feel like they're homeless in the sense of a metaphorical standpoint, not getting the right care, not getting the help, and often being tossed from uh, doctor to doctor, and often in a lot of despair and hopelessness. But for many, a place where they fit and they're accepted. Exactly, that's that's rare. And. both conditions. Yes, and and that's where hopefully this is uh, uh, for those who are struggling with fibromyalgia and are listening to this podcast, and for their family and loved ones, and for physicians who are trying to learn more. I hope to continue to help grow in their understanding. For many people suffering with fibromyalgia, they also have ADHD, and the numbers may vary, and there may be reasons for this from how they measured it and research, etc. But many want to know is could they perhaps have ADHD? Those who listen to Teresa and her story in a previous podcast, they may be wondering now, well, do I have ADHD? And and can you help at least, especially for the adult who's not diagnosed, but may have it, what kind of things might 
help them understand if they may have ADHD? One of the biggest obstacles is going to be the fact that they've always been ADHD and ADHD is their normal. That's that's all they've ever known. Uh, they don't know what it's like to be, the, the term is neurotypical. About 10% of the population, wherever you go in the world, is going to have an ADHD-style nervous system. We're getting away from the notion of ADHD as being a disorder because it really is a second nervous system. The ADHD nervous system works perfectly well, but by its own set of rules, uh, techniques, methods, whatever you want to call it. The problem is we keep those a secret. Uh, instead, uh, for people with ADHD, we demand that they change and be neurotypical. So let me tell you why the difference between those two. It's only been in the last couple of years that we've learned to ask the right questions. For the last 60 years, we've been asking questions that led the whole field astray. And one of the questions I ask people is, look back over your entire life. If you've been able to get engaged and stay engaged with literally any task of your life, have you ever found anything that you could not do? Um, most people with ADHD, and we're talking here like 99% of people with ADHD, will think for a moment and go, now, if, if I can get engaged, I can do anything. I, I've found that I can literally do anything. The term that is emerging in the lay literature is that people with ADHD are omnipotential. They can do anything. And so that really puts to question uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, one is how could you call something a disorder where people can be at times superhuman? Uh, it really puts to question the leading theory at the moment called executive function deficit theory. Um, people with ADHD do not have a deficit of abilities. Um, I somebody said ADHD is not a problem of knowing what to do. It's a problem of doing what you know. Uh, on top of that, ADHD uh, brings with it a lot of positives. Uh, people with ADHD are much brighter than the general population. The average IQ of an adult with ADHD is 123. All the IQ necessary to do anything they want and half are higher than that. Uh, they're very creative people, world-class problem solvers. Um, Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. When they do get engaged with something, they pursue it with what's called relentless determination. Uh, they're also funny, quick-witted, and I think something that's over overlooked they are the world's best friends, absolutely loyal people, because they, they know they've been rejected their entire life, and so they really value the friends they have. I mean, they would, they would literally die for their friends. Um, so they're, they're a great group of people. The problem is that medicine doesn't serve them very well. 
uh, the field of medicine, uh, for instance, there's not a book on how to treat ADHD, which just blows my mind. Uh, even if a physician wanted to learn how to treat ADHD, there's no place for him to learn. 93% of adult psychiatry residencies do not mention ADHD in four years of training. Uh, most psychiatrists out there are functionally illiterate uh, when it comes to ADHD. Half of pediatricians are never exposed to ADHD, and they're the ones we, we think should be the repository of knowledge about how to treat ADHD, and half admit they don't know what they're doing. And so this is really just a failure of medical education worldwide. So let's just go through what ADHD is. How do you know if you got it? So we have a, a set of diagnostic criteria. There are 18 of them, but they're based solely on children ages 6 to 12. They work very well for elementary school-aged children, but they've never been validated in a group of people over the age of 16. Now, we've spent 20 years, 30 years, trying to show that what we diagnose is childhood ADHD persists into adulthood. Problem is the diagnostic criteria are for children. If an adult met those diagnostic criteria, they would be functioning on the level of, a, of an elementary school-aged child with untreated ADHD. And they would be so impaired that they, they wouldn't be functioning. Mm -hmm. And so, unfortunately, the researchers of the world have kept any new diagnostic criteria for adults uh, to come forward. Uh, it was recognized in 1980, 41 years ago, that ADHD persisted into adulthood. But we still don't, don't have diagnostic criteria. Um, yeah. So... Um, the other thing is that when you look at the diagnostic criteria that we have, they're, they're very nebulous. Do you often do thus and so? You don't have to do it all the time. Um, but they are all, all 18 of them, things that everybody's done at some point in their life. Uh, we've all been scattered. We've all misplaced things. We've all blurted out something in a conversation we wished we hadn't and we wanted back. Uh, we've all been restless. Every single one of those 18 criteria, everybody's had. So they said, wait, why do you call this a, um, a disorder? Uh, I've done every single thing on that list. Well, it's because that's just the first step of five that you have to do in order to get the diagnosis. Those 18 criteria have to be consistent, persistent, pervasive, and impairing. They have to be there all the time, consistent, persistent. They have to have started in childhood and come without a break all the way to this day. Um, uh, pervasive. It doesn't happen just at home. It happens in every area of life, hence at school and at work and on the golf course and everything else. But the big one is the last one. They have to be impairing, severely impairing. Uh, it's more than just some lovable little trait or quirk. Uh, it has to cause significant impairment everywhere you go, every day of your life, as far back as you can then it becomes a diagnosis. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, as a set of diagnosis, after you get to be 16, they suck really badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of people out there who are trying to get rid of those diagnostic criteria and go some, find something else. Um, so um, we've been looking at what are the things that everybody with ADHD has and nobody else has. Uh, the term is pathognomonic. Mm-hmm. Um, this names the disorder. It is the disorder. is what you can really rely on. And so uh, people with ADHD have two such pathognomonic features. The big one is the cognitive side of ADHD. And it's what causes that swinging from being omnipotential and being able to do anything to swinging to being in la-la land and not able to get engaged with anything. Um, This uh, causes a huge misunderstanding uh, with, with parents in that when a kid is able to get engaged, He's wonderful at what he does, but no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, From then on, the child is expected to be able to do that every time. Kids with ADHD can't guarantee that. And so when they don't do it the next time, parents put the worst face on it and say, this is willful, you're being a bad kid, you're being oppositional and defiant, it's the kid's fault rather than that's the nature of ADHD. People with ADHD are able to get engaged and show how bright and capable they are and be productive in one of four ways. They can do it when they're interested in what they're doing. If you get a kid with ADHD interested, you can't pry them away. Uh, That's why kids love video games. Uh, because video games present a new interesting challenge every two seconds. Second one is they can do it when they're challenged or competitive, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why ADHD is so heavily overrepresented in uh, professional athletes. You can do it so long as it's new, novel, creative. Um, But by definition, that one's time limited. Everything becomes old hat after a while and you get bored with it. Probably the the one that's the big one for adolescents and college students, they can get engaged when it's urgent. Right at the do or die deadline, they're able to get engaged and turn out a huge amount of high quality work in a very short period of time. So people with ADHD can get in the zone is the slang. When it's interesting, challenging, novel, urgent. In contrast, the other 90%, the neurotypical people in the world, those four things are entirely optional. They can take them or leave them. They're nice, they're helpful, but they don't need them. Neurotypical people are able to get engaged, get access to their abilities reliably every time, and stick with it all the way to the payoff for two reasons. It's important. And they have a luxury that ADHD people don't have, it doesn't have to be important to them. It can be important to their teacher, to their boss, to their spouse, to their career. Uh, uh, It doesn't have to be important right now. Uh, It can be important. I need to do this right now so I can advance my career over the next 10 years. Mm 
Mm-hmm. A person with ADHD has to be interested, challenged, find a novel or urgent right now where nothing happens. Mm-hmm. The other one is that there's a reward for doing the task for a consequence if you don't. I mean, if you talk to parents with ADHD, they're just pulling their hair out because he says, we don't know what to do. We've tried everything. We've tried bribing him. We've tried punishing him and taking away his Nintendo. And nothing affects it. Not, nothing motivates it. So what we see is that people with ADHD have what's called an interest-based nervous system. When they're interested, they can literally do anything. And it's one of those few times in life where you can draw a bright and shining line and say always and never. A person with ADHD is able to say, I have always been able to do anything I want if I can get engaged through interest, challenge, novelty, urgency, and I have never even once been able to make use of the things that organize and motivate the rest of the world, importance and rewards consequences. And it, it is that clear, always and never. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that is really what ADHD is. It's a different nervous system. Works mm-hmm. just fine, but not by a single rule that is taught in a standard school. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're busting to say something here. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that's a great over high level view of things. And I've seen in agree with those criteria in kids that's helpful and that higher iq so i think there's often this negative stigma where people may fight the diagnosis because they have been equated as the kids who did get diagnosed at younger ages and the younger you get diagnosed more likely you have a lower iq and probably more of a acting out on on things so they equated that as using a bad term but being stupid i'm not stupid i know i'm smart i'm not dumb I can connect the dots, but I think some of the criteria, and I use a careful history like you do and trying to talk with patients and trying to tease because everybody's intelligence and circumstance, I've heard ADHD drops functional IQ, probably 10 to 15 points. So that may drop you down into more average. And that's where you can have people who are doctors, uh, anesthesiologists, orthopedic surgeons. And like you said, athletes, I I often think that some of the the coach's favorite players, but also least favorite are the athletes because they wanted to work out all the time and not do homework. (laughs) They'd rather go work out yet they may not have run the play properly. And the farther you get along in your school, in your challenges, um, is you don't, you're, you're, there's a patient I saw recently who liked being creative. He got a two-year degree as a architect technician, and he thought that was great. He loved the training. When he realized he got into his job, he had to sit at a desk, and he didn't get to create anything. He just had to through the fine touches on what the architect did in the, in the creative. And what I often like to use the acronym TCB, taking care of business, it's the daily methodical boring grind. So whether it's doing the That's homework, why they have doing to the pay research. you to do it. <laughs> and <laughs> it's so much harder for them. And that's every day. You know, every day is that's due now. They don't have that, okay, here's the term paper every six weeks. And so now I can cram the weekend. No, every day they have that cr- grind and that can cause. Yeah, if, if you look at the people in business who have been remarkably successful um, in spite of their ADHD, 
All right, you see one pattern. That's what we call having an implementer finisher partner. Mm-hmm. People with ADHD are able to wade into a problem that has stumped everybody else and go zing right to the answer. They just intuitively know it. Mm-hmm. But once the problem's solved, it has no more interest or challenge. And so they have all of these great ideas that are never implemented. Mm-hmm. So if you look at people who've done well, they've had somebody who's very capable, uh, but that, that's not their strength. They would have never figured out the solution to the problem in a million years, but they are world-class implementers. And so they take the idea and actually implement it. So Bill Gates had uh, Paul Allen, Steve Ball. Uh, Steve Jobs had Steve Wozniak. I mean, these implementer finishers are so important, we know who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they wouldn't have been able to implement any of these wonderful ideas without some neurotypical person to implement them. To quickly summarize what we went over on today's podcast, we talked about the role of a healthy diet, not just for fibromyalgia, but also for kidney problems. And then we started talking about ADHD. ADHD is in about 10% of the population and persists into adulthood. The diagnosis of ADHD classically works best for 6 to 12-year-olds, but if you use the exact same criteria for 6 to 12-year-olds, this would be an adult who's barely functioning. Fortunately, we have criteria that we use that applies to adult situations, adapting to adult situations, One of those is the World Health Organization Adult ADHD Questionnaire. And this is used along with the clinical history looking for problems that started earlier in childhood. Delay in diagnosis often occurs in those who have higher IQs and are less physically active and less likely to act out. This is more often the inattentive type, which is often more in women than in men or girls in than in boys. We often think of a stigma not just with fibromyalgia but also with ADHD. And Dr. Dobson shared with us that the average IQ of someone who has ADHD is 123 with normal IQ being at 100. Many people who are working in the business world and are successful with ADHD, it's partly because they have highly creative minds. They are great problem solvers, but they also have a person who is able to implement and finish, do that, what I call the taking care of business and the daily grind. Unfortunately, untreated ADHD can cause a lot of problems, and we'll talk more about that in upcoming podcast in this series. Again, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hit the like or subscribe button. Please share this with others. I hope that this helps you if you have fibromyalgia, if you have a loved one or family member with fibromyalgia, or if you have our family member of someone or a friend of someone with fibromyalgia, hopefully it will help you. And also if you're a physician or a medical provider and didn't get really any training on ADHD but really want to help, I hope that this will be helpful for you. Well, until next week's podcast, go Team Fiber.